Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Friday evening. Some big news for our egg community. Japan is going to open up their markets to beef. Also, President Trump has now taken off the tariffs on steel and aluminum with Canada and Mexico. Thus, Canada and Mexico are going to lower or get rid of, I should say, their retaliatory tariffs on our egg products. The good news about that is it starts to sort of pave the way, open the door to passing the USMCA, otherwise known as NAFTA 2.0. So that's some good news there. Some not so good news, and I, in my opinion, I think that's why some of this news is breaking on some of these other trade deals, the fact that it is now being reported that the trade talks with China are stalled. So we'll see what, how that plays out. We do know that coming up in the end of June, President Trump is going to meet with President Xi in Japan, as well as President Putin as well. So want to share that with you about the ag situation and some other breaking news. The DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, announced today that right now, every single month, every single month, they are putting 40,000 illegal immigrants into the interior of our country, folks. I'm sure you've heard the story as well. They're now looking to, to transport some of these people all the way over to Florida because right now Texas, Arizona, the southern border is just so flooded. They do not have the capacity to hold all these illegal immigrants. That's why President Trump announced his new immigration plan yesterday. If you watched the entire speech, which if you haven't, please do so. It was phenomenal. It was an outstanding speech about immigration. But you saw there, he gave a little shout out to Senator Lindsey Graham because he's working on kind of a mini plan. President Trump called his the big, bold, beautiful plan. <laughs> and he said, but hey, Lindsey, you're working on sort of a, a mini plan, but to shore some of these asylum rules up as soon as possible to stop this vacuum from the Northern Triangle uh, that is coming up through Mexico. So we got a special show tonight because just recently, Cindy Gomez-Shemp from a Mexican Crossing Lines was down in Tijuana and San Diego at the border herself, interviewing people and just seeing how overwhelmed, how overloaded our southern border is. So, Cindy, welcome back to Point of View. It's always great to have you here. Uh, we'll get to your story in a moment, but I do want to get just your take on the fact that right now we have over 40,000 people a month that we are putting into the interior of our country because they're crossing our border illegally. Yeah, I mean, I, I I almost thought it was a greater sum than that because I've been watching the border and the flood of people is constant, constant. I mean, it's, it's actually... Uh, in Mexico, there are states that will not take any more migrants. They're just saying, we don't have the resources. We don't want them coming into the state. They're blocking roads and entry points into different towns because the people are just sick of it. So how do we stop? I mean, one of the things that uh, Lindsey Graham is suggesting is, hey, look, if you're now going to file for asylum, you're going to have to do it at a consulate, either in your own country or in Mexico. Uh, is that something that you think would have an impact? I'm not sure how much you saw President Trump's immigration plan. Is that going to make an impact? Um, I think that all of these measures are stopgaps for immigration reform that has to happen eventually. So I applaud the Republican Party for trying to do something like that. I don't think that the president's current plan is going to address the manufacturing sector, the agricultural sector, and the service sector, which is where a lot of these low-skill, low low-paying jobs that we do need to fill in the United States are going to continue to have a black market of undocumented people filling. And I don't think that um, the president is doing enough right now to stop this loophole of asylum seekers. We know that the majority of those people will not get asylum. 87.5% of those people are already not going to their asylum hearings. 
So this is a problem we need to resolve. But do you think it happens? I guess that's my thing. Right now, I don't see any sort of incentive for the Democrats to do anything to change these laws because, in, in my opinion, You're right. all they see is 40,000 voters every single month coming into our country. That's, it's not, that's not all. You know, I have a, a feeling that they're heavily invested in this asylum process. Do you know how much money that they are making off of each of these people? Um, who? What Sanchez Cordero, the uh, Secretariat of Mexico, said that she knows for a fact they're investigating the people that are driving these caravans. And she said they're making five to $6,000. The coyotes, the people that are bringing them, they're charging money to these uh, folks. Well, that I understand, but why would a Democrat in D.C. care if I Cody's making they're, money? They're in, look, look at the Rapid Response Network in San Diego, the place I was just visiting. They're, make, they're giving, uh, Gavin Newsom is giving 25, I believe, million dollars to organizations that are uh, sheltering, uh, processing, uh, assisting legally all of the asylum seekers. There's money to be made. The You're shelters. $25 million to shelters inside California. Just in correct? San Diego, yes, just in California. But, I mean, he may say, hey, look, this is the humanitarian thing to do. I mean, even President Trump, who's now hired someone with via DHS, says when we transport. It's not humanitarian to bring millions of people into this country and strand them I, not, when they're not going to be able to I'm get not asylum. I'm suggesting that, but as we know, immigration is federal. Gavin Newsom can only do so much, so maybe his. I'm just telling you what I think he would say. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your trip specifically. You okay. went down to San Diego and Tijuana. Yep. What did you see? And as we've heard before from many people, I think even the Democrats now are starting to admit, yes, there's a crisis, but for a long time, they didn't. Would you say, hey, this is a crisis, based on what you've seen? Yes, and it's a manufactured one. It is inorganic. And one of the things that I was there to investigate was the, the drivers of this, because I believe that these uh, lawyers groups that are encouraging people to come and seek asylum, telling them, you have a right to seek asylum, when they know that the vast majority of them do not qualify, are what I was trying to find out more about. So I went to the uh, ABS conference, the Association of Borderland Studies conference, and on April 25th, I had the opportunity to stand in front of Nicole Ramos, one of the lawyers for Al Otro Lado, and ask some questions. A San Diego resident that was there also got to ask a very important question, is, which is, are you practicing law within Mexico? Are you qualified to do that? Do you have certification to do that? And she said, no, we don't do that. And I think you have the sound clip of that. If we have that, let's roll it, Josh. Uh, this is for Nicole. Um, you, I think you had said that you lived in Tijuana, correct? Yes. Um, I was just wondering if you are, if you're, if you can practice law in both Mexico and in California. That's it. Um, and with regard to my license to practice in Mexico, I, I don't practice law in Mexico. I don't. So it's not considered legal advice. Then. Right. It's, it's legal orientation and know your rights training. Um, we do pick up some cases well, once people are in the U.S. Okay. So you're licensed in California? I'm licensed in New York, and so because oh. it's federal law, then uh, you can practice law wherever. Okay. okay, I see that, and I go, all right, for the person sitting at home, why should they care? Why does that matter to them? Well, uh, Nicole Ramos, and I think you have a picture of her that I took at this conference, um, she is being investigated by the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, she is also part of the lawsuit against Trump right now with the ACLU. And she is lying about practicing law without a license in Mexico. She definitely is. Her organization is. In fact, after I left that conference, I went into Tijuana and I interviewed a man. A man that told me that not only did he get legal advice from her, but he was guaranteed 
on his initial visit, he was guaranteed to get asylum in the United States. All he was asked was one question, do you have an American citizen uh, family member in the United States? To which he answered yes. And then they said, you get asylum. So, so I, want to, I want to back up because a couple of things have jumped out to me. I want to get to that story in a moment. But you first started this. I said, do you see it as a crisis? You said yes, but a manufactured crisis. Yes, it's inorganic. Who's These manufacturing it? The people that are organizing and funding the caravans. But that's that's I, no one knows who that is. Like what is oh, going on? Pueblo Sin Fronteras is already being investigated. They've are, the by name who? is by the Mexican government, by Interpol, Can by we the trust Department them? of Human. Uh, the 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 group? Mexican government. Um, I don't know that they're invested in stopping this uh, caravan migration, this mass migration. I don't believe that the, the government of AMLO is doing enough to stop it, but I believe that Interpol, the Depar Department of Homeland Security, Border Patrol, the, the joint investigation that's happening with Mexico and the United States is reliable, and it is focusing on Pueblo Sin Fronteras and this woman, Nicole Ramos, and her organization, because they are driving millions of people to specific borders like the one in Tijuana. And this gentleman that I told, uh, that I interviewed, he told me he did not trust what he was told. He didn't even go back to these lawyers because he didn't trust them. But he did show me his contract. And I think you have it, you can see clearly, even though it is in Spanish, that it says that it is a contract for legal services, right at the top. And you can also see their logo at the very top. And it's redacted so you don't see his name, but at the very bottom you can see that they have a signature of one of the representatives of <clears throat> Al Otro Lado. Uh, maybe it's a lawyer, maybe it's a volunteer, but it says clearly at the top that this is for servicios, legal services. And then you can see that they say for the cost, costo, that is completely free. But maybe they've got Mexican attorneys down south of the border that they're using. No. And she said that? That, she said that in the question she was just asked. We don't take clients until we're here in the United States. Obviously, that's not the case. But you want to know something that's even more disturbing? Along with that contract, they get a file number that's uh, stapled to a sheet that they can log into and check the progress of their asylum case. And what it says in Spanish and in English is that they're supposed to destroy this only uh, way that they have to look at their case. They're supposed to destroy this paper before crossing the border. Why? Like Mission Impossible style. <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe it's to hide the evidence. I had you ever heard of a lawyer telling you, here, destroy the evidence of our relationship or our case together. Because that's what that paper says. But so even though you've got that contract, let's say they prosecute uh, Nicole Ramos, mm -hmm. big deal. She gets disbarred. It's not like going to stop these people from coming to the border. No, uh, unfortunately, this problem is going to be here for the next decade or so. Uh, I saw President Trump tweet that, um, you know, don't get comfortable because you're going to be leaving soon. I know that Border Patrol is going to have work, guaranteed work, for a long time. Detention facilities are going to be at capacity for a long time. New contracts, the industrial industrial complex of prisons is going to grow over this period of time. Sadly, Unless they change these laws, right? Because then we could either deport them faster, because right now we can't even, let's say that you're an unaccompanied minor, you come up from Honduras, according to our laws, I, even if Honduras wants you, I can't deport you back, you can't I can't be deported. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is insane, right? Mm -hmm. Let me talk about this for a moment with you, because I know you follow this closely. President Trump put out this merit-based immigration plan. Canada does it, Australia does it, Japan, a lot of countries do it. Winning idea? We do it already. 
I don't think, no, again... No, we don't. We have over 60% of the people that come to this country because they've got some family member here that can right, fog a mirror. but see, you're talking about the difference between how you get a visa to stay here temporarily and how you find a pathway to citizenship. Right, I'm talking about green card holders. Right, and, and what I'm saying is that we already have a visa system that allows people to come temporarily for high-skilled work here. And frankly, it doesn't work very well. I think that we have to either expand the criteria, and it has to include agriculture, manufacturing, and service industry jobs, because the majority of the people that are coming to work in those industries are not covered by the, by the president's current plan. Well, he does want to change that. Just to be fair, he does want to expand the H-2B visas and, and, and raise that number to have more seasonal workers. Because of TV time, we have to leave it there. But thank you for the insight. We always very much appreciate it. Thank you. Be sure and check out Cindy's Facebook uh, show as well. What's the Facebook URL? Um, uh, 88.1 FM Fargo-Moorhead. Awesome. It's fantastic. She's got people that are from the borders, from Tijuana, that are doing Skype interviews with her and very, very insightful stuff. So we'd love to know your point of view on that. And also, as we all know, there's a big conversation right now about some of the boundary changes that are taking place within Fargo for different schools. So earlier this week, I had a chance to sit down with Brian Toy. He gave us some fascinating insight about that. But also, I think what's fascinating is he's trying to meet with Fargo school board members. Remember, they are elected positions. For whatever reason, they won't meet with them. Here's our interview. Brian, welcome to Point of View. Great to have you here. There's a big I'll be kind about this kerfuffle about some of the boundary changes here with Fargo schools. For people that aren't following as closely as you maybe because you're in it, just give a quick take on what exactly is happening and what's transpired. Well, right now there's a building usage task force that's meeting every other week to discuss. Uh, the, the plan was for them to discuss building use and capacity issues, but it's really become what, what I think is just a boundary change task force where they're analyzing different scenarios to decide whether they're going to change the secondary boundary lines for all Par Fargo Public School students. And you're opposed to this, why? Well, when I first started looking into it, um, there was so much discussion about uh, strong growth within the city of Fargo. And I looked at the company that they were using to analyze the data and give um, estimates as to what the enrollment's going to be from year to year. And what I found was that this company has been grossly overestimating what the enrollment's going to be. And they've been doing reports for at least five years for Fargo Public Schools. And every report they've done has uh, overestimated growth by hundreds and hundreds of students. Uh, for instance, the 2014 report overestimated the 2018 enrollment by over 600 students. And so um, this task force right now is looking at changing the middle school boundaries. And even with that company, the RSP company's report, Discovery Middle School is only going to be two students over capacity in five years. And so uh, my concern is why are we doing this now um, when enrollment this year is down from last year? And so um, I've been trying to get uh, the school board or administration to just bring accurate information to the task force. I think the task force should know that RSP's data is not accurate and hasn't been accurate. So why are they using it? I don't know. That's a great question. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I, I just don't think they have any other data to back up moving the boundaries. Well, why not just use actual data? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of the things I do want to share is you, you shared with me off camera, hey, Chris, I've reached out to every single Fargo, Fargo school board member, and they won't even take a meeting, respond to email. Where's that at? Well, some will. Um, you know, I, I, I sent a message out to the school board president trying to sit down with her to 
to just show her the data and say, here, here's, here's my concern, because I'm just going off the data. I'm just going off the numbers that I can get from the school board and what I can get from the RSB reports. And uh, I haven't been able to meet with them. I showed up to speak at the school board meeting on Tuesday, and I did speak. Uh, I provided them with uh, graphs with my data, but um, when my four minutes were up, they cut me off, and, and that was all I was able to say. So I'm assuming based on your answer, some of the questions that I'm asking you is, hey, why are they using this data? Why not just use actual data? I'm assuming you've asked somebody at least those questions and the response is? Uh, not, nothing that really satisfies me. I mean, the response is, this is the data we have. We've been using RSP. We're going to continue using RSP. And, and they believe that the growth is going to be as fast as RSP says. Facts be damned. So where do you go from here? I mean, I guess what's next? There's a couple more meetings uh, still to take place. Yep. What's next and what do, you, what do you want to see eventually happen? Well, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see them press the pause button. Enrollment's down this year in Fargo Public Schools. Growth has slowed. Building permits in the city of Fargo are down 40% from three years ago. So growth has slowed. Let's take a minute to look at our buildings and what we can do with them. There was a long-range task force that was put together um, that made some recommendations for a magnet school, a language immersion school, a CTE, a career training center, a STEM center. We have space at some of these schools, at South um, and at Ben Franklin, that we could have something that kids might want to voluntarily go to that might shift enrollment around. So let me ask you this. You're reaching out to school board members that are elected positions. There, some of them are not meeting with you, taking the time to meet with you. Also recently, the school board spent $16 million on discovery and didn't gain any more room for students. Right. When they got approval for that $16 million remodel, the minutes from that meeting specifically said it was to address overcapacity concerns. Well, guess what? The capacity when they started that was 1,200 students. Now it's 1,100. So they actually lost 100 capacity. But see, that, that doesn't make any sense. You're telling me they're using this RPS information that shows all this, you know, geometric growth. They dumped $16 million into a school. They don't account for any growth. And not only that, they lost 100 capacity. And so who's making these decisions? I, I, that, that's a great question. You know, I mean, there was an administration change. There's a new superintendent, and I don't know if something got lost in the shuffle. Um, it's frustrating. I, I've met with Dr. Ghani. He's very um, professional. He's always been willing to meet with me. Um, but I think that administration has their course of action that they're going to take, and the board is behind them 100%. And unfortunately, it, it feels like to me, what, no matter what we bring to them, they just keep going full steam ahead with this plan. What's interesting, we're having a lot of conversations right now about Fargo Public Schools. You were saying, hey, Chris, we're all trying to speak up. Nobody's hearing us. You see this situation with uh, the teacher renegotiations. Uh, the person that is their new president-elect is basically saying the same thing as, look, if you don't hear us, we feel like you're not even hearing our voice as teachers. So I don't know what the situation is there, but I appreciate you sharing the information. I know this is far from over, so we'll have you back, okay? Great. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Thanks again to